Hello, welcome to Wrestling Highlights of the Week, presented by My Two Cents Podcast, hosted by G2. I am G2. I am here to give you the Wrestling Highlights of the Week for Raw, SmackDown, NXT, AEW Dynamite, AEW Rampage, and Impact Wrestling. And without further ado, let's start off with the show. On Raw, we had Cody Rhodes coming out here and doing an in-ring promo. When he comes out, you see that he's still working with one full hand, one arm still in good and tag with the other arm. He's not moving it too much. He's keeping it in one steady position as he's walking up the ramp. He couldn't even get on the second turnbuckle the way that he did the night before to hell in a cell because he's so much in pain, but he's still smiling through the pain. Uh, he gets in the ring, and the fans are chanting, Thank you, Cody, for the people that did not watch Hell in a Cell uh, last Sunday. He has a torn peck, and uh, he had black and blue all over his chest and into his uh, tricep area. And he went into the Hell in a Cell matchup with Seth with this. And so the fans are chanting, thank you for Cody for still performing and all that stuff. Cody lets the fans know that he appreciates them. And he finds that doing this as a job is a privilege for him because he gets to wrestle in front of all these fans that are cheering for him. Cody will get to talk about how he wants to be a role model for his daughter for when she grows up and watch this match. She sees that her father wasn't jaded or cynical when he could have been. Because this moment was so great, and he at this moment, it could have literally been a downfall for him, but he stood and fought for himself, and he won the matchup. Cody would then mention how he is done with Seth, that was it, and then Cody would then talk about money in the bank. He says, if any chance, I'm really, I'm willing and able to uh, be back within the time that money in the bank happens, I'll climb the ladder, grab the briefcase, and cash in on a contract that has eluded me in my entire career and as he was talking about money in the bank Seth Rollins music would hit and Seth comes out Seth is coming out limp he's feeling the effects from hell in the cell he would get in the ring and Seth will have this to say I still do not like you but after what you put yourself through last night you have earned my respect and the world is saying maybe one of the gutsiest performances and the history of this industry and that's the truth because you are without a doubt the toughest person I have ever been in this ring with and I know I'm the last person you need to hear this from but Dusty is very very proud of his baby boy right now the night after Wrestlemania to show me respect you shook my hand I came out here for no other reason than to return the favor so Seth extends his hand out. Cody looks at Seth. He shakes his hand. They shake hands. And now this feels like a warm, good moment because you heard the way that Seth talked about Cody. He mentioned that he didn't like him, but he got Seth's respect after going into Hell in a Cell last night and battled with a tour peck and all that stuff. And he came out on the winning end. And you have nothing but respect for somebody that goes into a battle already beaten and injured the way that Cody did. So you get... And you earn somebody respect. So Seth is out here shaking hands with Cody. They shake hands. You see Seth walk up to Cody and he says something in his ear. You don't see it. Well, you don't hear what he says. You just know that he says something. And then he walks right out of the ring and just walks to the back. Cody stands in the ring a little bit more. He looks around at the fans. The fans are cheering it up for Cody. Cody's embracing it. Cody walks out of the ring. He starts walking up the ramp. He turns around to look at the fans and waves to them and has a smile on his face and then from behind you see Seth Rollins 
run up and hit Cody behind the head with a sledgehammer. Boy, oh boy, Seth is always going to be a menace. I told you he's going to be continuing this descent into madness because he cannot beat Cody and he still has this thing with Cody after he just had a nice hard fought battle with Cody at Hell in a Cell. You would think it'll be over. Nope, Seth's going to continue this. Uh, Seth would uh, start proceeding to tear Cody's shirt to expose the bruised chest, and then he would put his foot on Cody's arm that has the bruise on it, then stomp on it. He would grab the sledgehammer and apply pressure onto Cody's chest uh, that's bruised up. You will see officials and referees come out to separate Seth from Cody. Seth would then go to the back as Cody is now laying on the ground in agony and pain. You see the uh, they have medical personnel out there, and they have a stretcher there. They try to get Cody to get on the stretcher and all that, but Cody is persistent to do this himself. He gets to his feet by himself. He sits on the stretcher for a little bit, and he had to realize that, you know what, I'm not going to go on the stretcher. He tells him he waves it off, and the officials are asking him, are you sure? And he just constantly tells him, I'm good. And you see Cody just slowly starts walking to the back. He looks back at the fans one more time, and the fans are giving him nothing but cheers and adulation. And Cody just looks at him one more time, and then he walks to the back. So this is the last time we're going to see Cody for a minute. Uh, He has surgery Wednesday. It was reported Thursday, but whatever. He had surgery this week. So rest up easy, Cody. Uh, After this, we had... Becky Lynch going against Dana Brooke. It was originally a one-on-one matchup, but once Becky and Dana actually locked up, you would see Tozawa uh, be chased down by Tamina, R-Truth, T-Bar, and Reggie because T uh, Tozawa has the 24-7 championship. So we're still doing 24-7 hijinks here. Tozawa would get in the ring, and Dana Brooke would roll up Tozawa to win the 24-7 championship from him. Becky will get a mic and say that nobody's winning championships in her match except her. So she challenges Dana Brooke for the 24-7 championship. And that's what we get. Dana Brooke now going against Becky for the 24-7 championship. Dana would win the match by pinfall thanks to help from Asuka. Asuka will come down in the middle of the match to distract Becky. But that doesn't work until the end of the match when Becky was going to hit Dana with the manhandle slam. But Dana would grab Becky by her legs and drop Becky to the mat and then pin her. Becky was going to try to kick out, but Asuka held onto Becky's right leg. And that's how Dana would beat Becky to retain the 24-7 championship. This pushes the feud of Becky and Asuka continuing going forward. After this, it'll be time for Miz TV with his special guest, Maurice and Riddle. Miz and Maurice were dressed like they were going to a premiere. Maurice is out here wearing a black sparkling dress while The Miz is wearing a tuxedo. The Miz talks about how after Raw goes off, there will be a season double uh, debut episode of Miz and Mrs. Season 3. They will continue talking about how good their life is and all that good stuff. Then Riddle would come out and talk about how he's tired of facing Roman's minions and how he's out here and he wants to fight Roman Reigns. Riddle talks about how Roman took something away from Riddle that's special to him, and that's Randy. And he's going to take away something that's special away from Roman, and it's the Undisputed Universal Championship. Miz says that Riddle is going to have a hard time doing that. Riddle would then proceed to say that Miz is being dragged around by his wife, who's dragging him by his tiny balls. He says this on live national television. 
Maurice would uh, say that Miz has average balls. Miz would then look at Maurice, and he would try to tell her to like hype him up, and then she starts saying that he has above average balls. He has big balls, the biggest balls she's ever seen. Then you would get Riddle saying that he wants to fight uh, Miz here. Well, Maurice says that you want to fight the Miz here? Fine, you get to do it. Uh, Miz would have to put the brakes to that and say that that isn't going to happen because he's in a tuxedo. And then you see the Miz Marie start to leave the ring. And then you see Ciampa attack Riddle from behind. There are still no motives to why Ciampa attacked either Ali or now he's moving on to Riddle. There's still no motive for that. And then once Ciampa leaves the ring, you will see the Miz turn around. And then he announces that he's changed his mind and he calls for a ref to come down here. So now we get Riddle going against the Miz who has Maurice in his corner. Riddle would win the match by pinfall when Miz would have Maurice distract the referee, and Miz now has Maurice's handbag as he was looking to hit Riddle with it. Riddle would duck the shot, then hit Miz with an RKO for the win, and that's it for this. It was a nice, fun little matchup because during the match, you saw uh, Riddle start tearing at Miz's pants to expose that he's wearing, like, stripy underwear. I mean, it was a funny little match for the fans to basically enjoy. After this, we had the Street Profits going against the Usos in a championship contender matchup. If the Street Profits win, they get a future tag team title opportunity. The Street Profits would win the match by countout when Jay Uso and Montez Ford were the legal men and they were fighting on the outside of the ring. And they are by the timekeeper area, and Jay will look to hit Montez with a super kick, but Montez would duck it and send Jay over the barricade. Montez would slip in the ring by the count of nine. And then once the ref got to the count of 10 and Jay wasn't in the ring, he calls for the bell. So the Street Profits will get a future tag team title matchup. Well, in the future. This is a nice matchup between the Usos and Street Profits. I don't remember how many times they wrestled that much. I know the Street Profits and has wrestled the Alpha Academy a lot, uh, RK Bro a lot. Uh, the Usos have wrestled New Day a lot. Uh, Street Profits and Usos, probably you get them like on one hand occasion. So... Seeing this match was nice, and you also got some nice uh, big spots from the Street Profits here. You had a uh, big man, Angelo Dawkins, hit a uh, top Kunhilo onto the Usos on the outside, and that was a nice little highlight, and you got to see them pull off their uh, tag finish on, I believe, Jay, and Montez Ford jumped so high that he almost touched the Money in the Bank briefcase that was hanging above the ring, so that was a nice little highlight there. And Montez is a big dude, by the way. He's starting to like build up in muscle bulkness and getting the physique that he can literally step away from Angelo and go off into singles competition. And that's where everybody sees where Montez is going, but we'll see if they actually split the street profits up right now. They're a good tag team and I'm glad that they're still sticking together. After this, we would get a Bobby Lashley in-ring promo. Bobby will talk about how his and MVP's relationship didn't have to end the way that it did last night, but that's what P wanted. Bobby would say that he is now looking towards the future. And as Bobby was talking, out comes Theory. Theory will come out and talk a big game. And when Bobby tells him they, to back it up and that they can have a match for U.S. title, Theory will decline that, saying that Bobby doesn't deserve one. Theory will say that you've beaten Brock Lesnar, Drew McIntyre, Randy Orton, but you haven't beaten him. Theory starts listing off his accolades, being Mr. McMahon's protege the youngest United States champion in WWE history. Then Theory would decide to turn his back on Bobby and try to get a selfie, but Lashley would kick him out of the ring. So this tells me that Theory and Lashley are where we're going for this United States title uh, situation. 
But eh, we'll see. I know Lashley's going to like beat up on Theory. I don't think he's going to take the United States title off him. I just think that he's going to beat him up and just teach him a thing or two. Uh, after this, we get Dominic Mysterio with Raven Mysterio in his corner going against Veer Mahan. Veer would win the match by disqualification when Veer would hit the million dollar arm, which is a clothesline on Dominic. Then, as he's about to uh, apply the clavicle clutch on Dominic, Ray would get in the ring and drop kick Veer. The ref would call for the bell. Ray would kick Veer out of the ring. Veer would get upset and Veer would try to get close to the ring, but Ray would hit Veer with a 619. And then Ray would get himself and Dominic out of the ring and start walking up the ramp. So Dominic, well, the Mysterios and Veers, uh, well, their uh, rivalry is not ending no time soon. It should, but it seems to me they're not wanting to end that yet. Uh, After this, it's time for the Judgment Day to come out because they were uh, advertising this throughout the night that Judgment Day has recruited a new member. So it's time for them to, well enlist and let everybody know who their new member is but before they do that you get edge out here talking about uh the greatness of what he's done for Rhea and damian priest's career since they've joined under his tutelage and now that they've been new people they've uh on a winning streak and even with the opportunity that Rhea has tonight to possibly be the number one contender for the raw women's championship you hear edge talk about all this and then he decides and say that you know what it's time to introduce the newest member of the Judgment Day. We wait, we wait, and then Finn Balor's music would hit. And you hear commentary say, no way. The fans are cool with it because we all been like, okay, Finn Balor and the Judgment Day, that's kind of been speculating, all that type of stuff. So Finn comes out, he gets in the ring, he smiles, he shakes hands with Edge, and Finn talks about what led him to join Judgment Day. He talked about how last night he saw a different fire in the eyes of Rhea and Damien during their matchup at uh, Hell in a Cell, and he knew at that moment that he had to join uh, Judgment Day, and he talked about how after the show, he called them up, and he talked to both Rhea and Damien, and they have things in common more than they do uh, separately, and the biggest thing that they have in common is that they're tired of taking orders from people. So then you have Damien look over at Edge and start talking to him. Edge, you're one of the greatest competitors. And not just in our time, but of all time. That's why it was easy for Rhea and I to follow you into this journey of darkness. And I think now, you know, we realize that in the short time with you, you've taught us to get rid of any limitation that was holding us back. We're ready. We are ready to shed the last bit of limitations holding us back which is you edge will look shocked at this and then you see damien priest just nail edge with a sick clothesline edge drops down he's stunned at the moment and then edge will get stomped out by finn Rhea, and damien priest i saw this coming as soon as you start seeing as soon as you heard finn say that they are tired of taking orders from people i was start looking at it, i was like oh no no they're not and then once i saw damien say it's now we got to get rid of you. I was like, okay, they're going for it. So once I started seeing a pack out edge, I mean, just stomping them out. I was like, well, good for them. Let's see what type of uh, direction they do with Judgment Day now. Uh, Priest would proceed to then choke slam edge. Then uh, they would put edge in position for Finn to hit the coup de grace on him. Uh, they were rolling him out of the ring. Priest would hit edge with a razor's edge 
through the commentary table, smashing it. Then you have Finn and the rest of them stand and surround Edge as he's laid there. Edge will try to fight back, but to no avail. They will put Edge back in the ring, and Rhea will get two steel chairs. We Rhea would break off a piece of the chair, hand it to Finn, so he can apply the crossface on Edge with that piece of the chair, the same way that Edge did it to the Usos and Roman last year. As Edge was starting to fade, you would see Priest put Edge's head on a steel chair, and the referees and officials would try to get in the ring, but Rhea would fend them off by holding the chair and swinging at him. Priest would get another steel chair, and hit Edge with a concerto, so this laid Edge out. Finn and the rest of Judgment Day stood around the body of Edge, and they're still going with the name Judgment Day, and they're still ganking the whole purple lighting and darkness around them, so I want to see how we're going to proceed with this truly going on forward with the Judgment Day. I, I'm just excited because Edge being kicked out of Judgment Day, I technically didn't see until... They start talking about it last, on Monday Night Raw, and I was like, oh, okay, I can see where they're about to do next, but I'm looking forward to the future uh, going forward with Judgment Day with this. After this, we have Omos with MVP going uh, against Cedric Alexander. Omos will win the match in incredibly fat, quick fashion. As soon as the bell rings, you see Omos grab Cedric by the throat, lift him up, double hand choke slam him, pin him, that's it. After the match, the Dirty Dogs music would hit. That's Dolph Ziggler and Robert Roode. They've been away since uh, the Raw after WrestleMania. And they get interviewed. And before they can really get started with their interview, you see MVP and Omos walk up on them. And MVP will grab the mic and say, don't you ever disrespect us like that. You guys need to wait for your camera time. And Dolph would superkick MVP in the face. And then the Dirty Dogs would run. MVP would tell Omos to chase after him. So this looks like we're going to get uh, the Dirty Dogs and Omos uh, feud for this. I don't know why we're doing it, but uh, I'm cool with it. Now we have Otis going against uh, Ezekiel. Otis will be out here with Chad Gable. Ezekiel would win the match by pinfall when he pins Otis in the crucifix pin for the win. After the match, Ezekiel will get on a mic and say that Kevin Owens might have beat him last night at Hell in a Cell but he wants to rematch against Kevin Owens next week on Raw. Kevin Owens will come out, and at first he says he isn't going to give him a match because he beat him at Hell in a Cell. But then he changes his mind, and he said, you know what, you can have your match, but you have to admit that you are Elias. Ezekiel would look Kevin Owens and say, you're right. Kevin Owens would then tell Ezekiel to say, no, 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 I want you to say it, and I want you to look me in the eyes when you say it. Ezekiel will look at Kevin Owens and say, you're right, I am Elias. Kevin Owens would let out a big I told you so to everybody and starts calling himself a genius. Ezekiel would then ask Kevin Owens, does that mean I get my match next week? Kevin Owens would then say, yeah, sure, whatever. Ezekiel would then begin to laugh and say, I didn't think that was going to be that easy. I didn't even think that was going to work. And then I took out I took a page out of the Kevin Owens playbook. Kevin Owens would stand there looking confused and you ask, what do you mean? Ezekiel will reply with, Man, I lied. My name is Ezekiel. And then he hits Kevin Owens with a big jumping knee to the face. Alpha Academy would get in the ring and this would make Ezekiel leave out of the ring. So Kevin Owens will go against Ezekiel next week on Raw, and Ezekiel just lied to Kevin Owens. After this, we sign for the main event of Raw. Fatal four-way matchup for the normal contendership. For the Raw Women's Championship, 
Alexa Bliss going against Rhea Ripley, going against Liv Morgan, going against Dewdrop. Rhea would win the match by pinfall when she hits Dewdrop with the Riptide for the win. This was a great match with all four ladies in it. Uh, I think it was already a predetermined situation when you see the competitors here and you know Bianca is the champion. It was kind of a foregone conclusion that Rhea was the next person in line to go against Bianca, but all four ladies still did their part, did a great matchup on Raw for the in the main event, and Raw for the past uh, couple weeks have been always having the ladies in the main event uh, picture of Raw, so that tells you that they have a high standard focus for their women's division. Uh, after the match, you would see Finn Balor and Damian Priest come out and stand side by side with Rhea as now Judgment Day stare and look at Bianca Belair as Bianca holds up the Raw Women's Championship. And that's the end of Raw, and that's your Raw Wrestling Highlights of the Week. Now, off to NXT. And before I get into the uh, highlights of NXT, certain things to announce. Next week on NXT, uh, the Creed Brothers will be defending their NXT tag titles against Idris Anafi and Malik Blade. Joe Gacy's Druids, his guys that were around him, they will be in action next week. And Giovanni Vinci, formerly known as Fabian Eichner, will be making his NXT uh, debut. This is his new repackaging uh, character for him. He's going to be a guy that's basically Italian, since he is Italian legitimately. So I want to see how we're going to style and profile uh, Giovanni here. Anyway, NXT was start off with Carmelo Hayes and Trick Williams going into the ring and talking their talk. As Melo is now a two-time North American champion, Trick hypes up Melo for being a two-time North American champion here. Melo does give props to Cameron Grimes for giving him one of his toughest challenges that he's had, but Melo is now the goal for everybody in NXT. He mentions how the fans wish they could be him. Melo would then continue to insult the fans before saying he is the most illustrious North American champion, and he has now, referring to Solo Sokoa's whole thing of he's got next. Solo Sokoa will come out, and he will congratulate Melo on winning the North American Championship, and he will say that he has next. Trick would remind Solo that you had an agreement with Car- Cameron Grimes, and that is no longer relevant because Cameron Grimes isn't the North American champion. Solo would tell Melo that he's scared to face him because he knows that he has Melo's number. Grayson Waller's music would hit, and... I didn't understand why Grayson Waller would come out until Grayson starts talking. Grayson would tell Solo that he doesn't have next. Grayson would tell Solo that he doesn't care what his blood type is, who his father is, or his cousins, his brothers, his aunts, his aunts are. He doesn't get opportunities because of who they are. The fans would tell Grayson to shut the hell up, but Grayson would mock the fans for throwing up the ones in the air saying that that's how many friends they have, and their mom doesn't count, so that means they have none. You would then to see Solo tell Grayson to shut the hell up and tells him that he knows what he's doing. He wants to fight, and Solo lets him know that he isn't fighting alone here because he has the fans fighting along with him. So then you see Solo tee off on Trick, then Grayson, then Mello, and then you start seeing him take on three men, but the numbers were too much for him, and he would start getting stomped out by all three of them. Trick and Mello would lift up Solo, and then Grayson would lay out Solo Sokoa with a DDT. The referees would come out, separate all the men, as Mello and the rest of his company would leave the ring. 
Later, we would get a backstage interview with Solo Sokoe in the trainer's room, and he would say that tonight, Melo and Grayson Waller are going to be laid out the same way that they laid me out. So we're going to see a handicap match of Solo Sokoe going against Melo and Grayson Waller in the main event, or so we think. Uh, after this situation, we would get to our first match of the night. Josh Briggs with Fallon Henley and Brooks Jensen going against Von Wagner, who had Robert Stone and Sophia Cromwell in his corner. Josh Briggs would win the match by pinfall and a little bit of help from his friends. When Briggs was down on the mat, Von Wagner went outside of the ring and grabbed Brooks Jensen's arm, which is in a cast, and slammed it on the mat. Von would then get back in the ring and Brooks would then look at Fallon and then give her a head nod. Fallon would get on the ring apron and just start distracting the ref. As this happens, you see Brooks take his cast off and hand it to Briggs. Briggs would grab the cast and he would hit Von Wagner in the head with it. Briggs then would follow that up with a clothesline, clothesline Von, pin him to win the matchup. So Brooks' arm is back to being normal. He doesn't need that cast no more. That cast was nothing but a uh, diversion for Von and he took the bait. So they got one up on Von Wagner. After this, it'll be uh, Nathan Frazier going against Santos Escobar, who has the D'Angelo family out uh, during ringside during his matchup with Tony D'Angelo on commentary. You saw Santos want to get at Tony so bad because Tony will be yelling at Santos from commentary, telling him to quit doing all that stuff that he was doing beforehand, as in like doing Lucha Libre stuff, as in jumping out of the ring and all these other type of moves. Basically, Tony wanted Santos to keep it real simple, real easy. Stomp, slams, all that type of stuff. But Santos would go against the grain with that. Towards the end of the matchup, uh, Santos would hit Frazier with a jumping super kick, and then Frazier would roll out of the ring. Stax would slide in a crowbar to Santos, and Santos would pick it up and then slide it back to Stax saying that he doesn't need it. Santos will walk over to Frazier, who's now on the ring apron, and Frazier will kick Santos in the head, knocking Santos down. Frazier will go to the top turnbuckle, hit a Phoenix Splash on Santos, cover him to win the matchup. So Nathan Frazier would win the match by pinfall, and you will see Tony and the rest of his family get in the ring and start... Uh, Tony starts like yelling at Santos for being stupid and not listening to him. So... This is going to continue Santos being upset as he now has to listen to the orders of Tony D'Angelo. There was no sighting of Electra Lopez here. People are trying to figure out why, but eh, we'll see if she'll be around next week. Uh, after this, we will have a Braun Breaker in-ring promo. Braun will come out here and say that Joe Gacy tried everything to take the NXT Championship away from him by making things personal, getting to his dad, making and making him try to break at NXT's uh, in your house, but that doesn't happen. Braun says that he is still your NXT champion, and when he walked back through the curtain after the show, he said he saw people's faces, and he knows the wheels are turning and spinning in their head, and they are trying to go after him. So Braun would say, who has enough guts to come out here and be next? We would wait a couple seconds before you heard this. Apollo Crews is now back in NXT. Apollo comes out 
No Commander Aziz. This is standard, just straight Apollo Crews. He comes out. The fans are happy to see him. The fans are cheering for him. And Apollo gets in the ring. He has a big smile on his face. He says he's happy to be here. He said this is the type of energy that he's really been missing. He will congratulate Braun on retaining the NXT Championship. And he talks about how he's been watching Braun's meteoric rise and calls him one of the best athletes, not in NXT, but in all of WWE. Apollo talks about uh, when he left NXT, he went too early and he left things on the table that since he's now back in NXT, he's back to correct history. And Apollo is back for however long he wants. Apollo tells Braun that it might not be now, but sometime in the future, he hopes to see him. They shake hands, and now that lets you know that we're going to get a Braun and Apollo matchup later down the line because you just don't throw somebody in there and say all that type of stuff. But it's good to see Apollo in NXT, back in NXT. I will say this. He did touch on it by saying that he got called up early, and it's true because Apollo came in like summer of, I believe... 2015 of NXT. He gets called up towards after Mania of 2016. So his time in NXT was relatively short compared to everybody else's time that was like in NXT, the usual time that you be in NXT. And during this time, he really didn't do much. I mean, his only memorable feud was with what? Baron Corbin. After that, he was like a nothing, and he came in there with so much hype from the indies and everything else, so, and everybody always see him with all this, like, potential, so I'm glad to see Apollo in NXT, and hopefully he gets to uh, cash in on some of those things that he should have done whenever he was in NXT the first time he was around. Now, on to the NXT breakout tournament finals of Tiffany Stratton going against Roxanne Perez. Roxanne would win the match by pinfall when Tiffany went for a moonsault, but Roxanne would move out of the way, well, roll out of the way, and Tiffany would hit the mat. Roxanne would get up, then hit Tiffany with the Pop Rocks, which is code red, on Tiffany to win the match. After the match, Cora Jade would come down to the ring, hug Roxanne, and then give her the contract that states Roxanne could challenge for any women's championship at any time. But before Roxanne could fully soak in the moment, Toxic Attraction comes out and ruins it for her. Mandy would get on the mic and tell Roxanne that she knows she isn't going to take the title off of her because if she decides to cash in on her, she is going to lose. She has a better shot at going to either Raw or SmackDown or better yet, leaving that contract inside of her closet. She tells Roxanne to ask Cora Jade what happens because Cora fell twice. Mandy was about to lay in to Cora Jade more, but Roxanne would punch Mandy in the face and now it's a brawl. Toxic Attraction is now beating up on Roxanne and Cora Jade. Until Indy Hartwell comes out and helps out uh, Roxanne and Cora. Indy would forearm JC on the outside of the ring, taking her out for the moment. Indy would then forearm Gigi, and then you see Gigi roll out of the ring. Indy would forearm Mandy, and then Mandy would eat a double superkick from Roxanne and Cora Jade. Mandy would then roll out onto the ring apron, and then Indy would kick Mandy in the face, dropping Mandy onto Gigi and JC on the outside of the ring. It was announced that next week on NXT will be a six-woman tag matchup. Roxanne, uh, Cora Jade, and Indy Hartwell going against Toxic Attraction. 
After this, we will have a handicap match, uh, Pretty Deadly, going against Andre Chase. It was supposed to be a tag matchup of Pretty Deadly going against Andre Chase and Bodie Hayward, but Bodie would get attacked uh, backstage, and Andre had to go on this by himself. Pretty Deadly would win the match by pinfall when they hit spilt milk on Andre Chase for the win. Uh, entertaining matchup here because towards the end of the matchup, you saw Bodie come out. He tries to uh, go down to the ring and help out Andre Chase, but he's stopped by the newest recruit of Chase U University, Tia Hale. Tia Hale would go and try to calm down Bodie Hayward, telling him that, hey, you got to relax. You can't go out there. And he would try, and then she would get on the ring apron and try to uh, motivate Andre Chase. So Andre would get a couple hits off on Pretty Deadly, but remember, still a two-on-one situation. Pretty Deadly are former NXT UK Tag Champs, and they're the recently former NXT Tag Champions, so they weren't losing this. After this, we had Alba Fire going against Tatum Paxley. Alba would win the match by pinfall when she would hit a gory bomb onto Tatum, then go to the top turnbuckle and hit a swanton bomb for the win. After the match, Alba would lift Tatum to her feet and then shake her hand. Alba would leave the ring, start walking up the ramp, and then she was attacked by Lash Legend, who kicked her in the face. Lash would proceed to talk trash to Alba as she was laid out. And now I think we're probably going to get Lash going against Alba next week. They haven't announced it, but I wouldn't be shocked if that happens next week. Now, onto the main event. Solo Sokoa going against Carmelo Hayes and Grayson Waller with them having Trick Williams in their corner. You see Carmelo, Grayson, and Trick in the ring, and Solo comes out, and Solo has a mic in hand, and he says, I would love to go against you guys by myself, but I found somebody that wants to get their hands on you just as bad as I do. And it's Apollo Crews. This is Apollo's first match in NXT in some odd year since 2015. So he's teaming up with Solo Sokoa. And also people were referencing on Twitter how this is long-term booking because Apollo Crews, if you remember, in 2020, he sat down with uh, Roman Reigns backstage and they never really, like, touched on that on the main roster for all those times for years back of what Roman was talking to uh, Apollo about. So... People were making fun of saying this is the thing that Apollo needed to go down there and help out his cousin. So anyway, it was a nice little funny thing. So now we got a tag match. So let's go Apollo going against Carmelo Hayes and uh, Grayson Waller. Apollo would win the match for his team when Solo would clothesline himself and Carmelo Hayes out of the ring. And then Waller tried to hit his rolling stunner. But Apollo would catch him in midair and hit a spinning sit out power slam. Well, power bomb on Grayson Waller cover him for the win, and there you go. This was a nice main event. This allowed people to get what Apollo Crews is, see how tough Apollo Crews is, see the uh, how strong he is and all that good stuff. You get to actually see him in a way that you didn't get to see him on WWE. You get to see him in his glory, if you will. So this was a nice matchup for Apollo to be back in NXT, and that's your NXT Wrestling Highlights of the Week. Now, on to AEW Dynamite. Before I get to the Dynamite results, a few things to note. Uh, they would note on commentary that CM Punk had lower uh, leg surgery, and it went successful. They didn't mention what part of the uh, leg had surgery, but he uh, is now healing up, and hopefully we'll see him months to come. Also, uh, there was a new title created. 
It's called the All Atlantic Championship. It looks familiar to the women's uh, championship, but the difference is is that in the middle plate of it, it has the globe, but it has flags from different countries. This is basically their version of the Intercontinental Championship. Basically, you have uh, people from every parts of the world basically competing for this championship. And there's a tournament technically for this because the winners of their representative matches will be meeting at uh, Forbidden Door in a fatal four-way matchup. The match will be Miro versus Ethan Page, Malachi Black going against Penta Oscuro, and two New Japan wrestlers that they did not announce, but that's taken over the New Japan side. But one match that is included into this whole tournament will be happening tonight. It was Brody Matthews going against Pack, and I'll read that uh, results in a minute. And next week on Dynamite, there will be a triple threat ladder match for the AEW Tag Team Titles. Jurassic Express going against the Young Bucks and the Hardy Boys. When Christian uh, walked in on the Hardys and the Young Bucks talking about who should be next for the Tag Team Titles. And Christian just threw it out there. So that's what we get next week on Dynamite. Now on to what happened on this week's episode of Dynamite. First match was the Casino Battle Royale, which the winner will be facing John Moxley in the main event. Uh, Kyle O'Reilly will win the Battle Royal. When Kyle O'Reilly and Wheeler Yuta were the last two men in the uh, Battle Royal, and you would see them fighting on the ring apron, Kyle will somehow get knocked back into the ring. Yuta would try to kick Kyle, but Kyle will grab Yuta's leg and hit a dragon screw on the ropes, which now Yuta is holding his leg, and then you see Kyle run off the ropes and big boot Yuta off the ring apron, and then you see Yuta hit the mat, well, not the mat, the outside floor, and Kyle will be declared the winner. Uh, a couple highlights from the matchup. You saw Swerve Strickland end his tag team partnership with Keith Lee when he threw him out of the ring. And then you saw Swerve and Darby have an alliance at a time in the match. And then you saw Swerve eliminate Darby the exact same way that he did Keith. And this has solidified Swerve being a bad guy now where they're going to be going further along with him. And also, Willie Yuta, he had a great showing because he eliminated two big men in the match. He eliminated Jake Hager and he eliminated Powerhouse Hob at both at separate times, not together, but at separate times. And another thing that I personally found uh, as a highlight was Andrade uppercutting Phoenix directly in the nuts during uh, Phoenix's whole rolling cutter in midair. I mean, Andrade just uppercutted him so well and so perfectly timed towards the end of the match. I just personally loved it. That's the reason why I put it as a highlight. But anyway, Kyle will be going against Moxley at the main event of Dynamite of this episode. After this Battle Royale, we will get the qualifying matchup for the Fatal Foy uh, match at Forbidden Door to Crown. Who's going to be the All-Atlantic champion? It will be Buddy Matthews going against Pac. They had a great match. I don't think these two has ever met each other on television. If so, I am not remembering it, but this is their first match to my knowledge. Uh, Pac would win the match by pinfall when Pac would hit Buddy with a pump kick, then hit the black arrow for the win. So Pac does advance to the Forbidden Door pay-per-view. And now he just has to wait and see who he's going to be facing at said event. After this, we get Trent Peretta in ring promo. Trent's out here to talk about how it's supposed to be National Best Friends Day, but none of his friends are here tonight. Trent will then move on to business saying that Rapungi Vice had a Ring of Honor tag team title opportunity, but it was ruined, and he wants to call it FTR because they did not win the match by pinfall or submission or any of that nature. So he wants FTR to come out here to make it right. FTR will come out, and they tell Trent that he's right. 
their match was ruined, and they also aren't happy because they didn't get to win the match on their own account and on their own merit. Dax would tell Trent, but he should be blaming Will Ospreay's minions for that. He should be blaming them because, hey, we want to win just as bad as you guys, but you got your anger completely wrong. You should be going towards them. As soon as he hits Will Ospreay's name, music hits, and they see the camera turn up to the entrance stage, and I just thought it was going to be Great O'Conn and Jeff Cobb coming out to Will Ospreay's theme. Oh, no. It's the kingpin himself, Will Ospreay. Will Ospreay from New Japan is now in AEW, well, at least for this situation. He's out here. The fans go nuts, and he's standing on the stage, and he stands there for a brief 10 seconds, and then he circles his finger, and then you see the camera turn over to the ring, and you see his mates, Ozzy Open, which is his uh, tag team in uh, the United Empire, and Aaron Hanare, who's another guy who's a part of the United Empire, attacking FTR and Trent Beretta, uh, Will Ospreay would run down to the ring and join his boys, beating up on all of them. And in the end, you would see Will Ospreay hit the Hidden Blade, which is a vicious, and I mean very vicious, forearm to the side of the face of Trent. And then you see Will and his mates standing like standing tall above everybody at the end. we At the end of this situation, you would hear on commentary that on Rampage, it will be a six-man tag, Will Ospreay and Ozzy Open going against Trent Peretta and FTR. And I'll get to that whenever Rampage, uh, when it's time for me to talk about Rampage. After this, we will have Hangman Page going against David Finley. And Adam Cole was on commentary for this matchup. Again, another great solid match between both two guys that have history with each other. Hangman would win the match when he hits the buckshot lariat on David Finley for the win. After the match, Hangman will get a mic. And Hangman mentions that he has a lot to say about the AEW World Championship, but he will say that for a different time. He begins to talk about how he wasn't in the Battle Royal, and he doesn't think he'll be... Uh, getting a shot at the AEW World title anytime soon. So Hangman decides that that's not the only world championship in wrestling. So Hangman then declares that he wants Okada after Bendor for the IWGP championship. And then we would get Adam Cole coming off a of commentary, getting the mic, and he plays spoiler to Hangman's plans. Whoa, 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 whoa. You have got to be kidding me. Are you really that delusional? First of all, Okada might not even be the champion. It could very well be my good friend Jay White, but you didn't think about that because you don't think like a champion. Oh, also, everyone, newsflash, Paige, you aren't a champion anymore. If anyone should get a shot at the championship, the IWGP championship, it should be me. I am the new franchise player here at AEW. Your time has come and gone, my friend. And whether you or anybody else wants to admit it, AEW is all about Adam Cole, baby. Now, what Adam Cole technically is saying is true because Adam Cole has been the guy for AEW for this beginning of this year. Sure, he lost to Hangman Page twice in his AEW championship opportunities, but look at what he's done so far. He's been being the guy. He's been setting up for him and JY basically to try to take over for Ben Dorr. By the way, I feel that happening too, by the way, with Bullet Club and the Undisputed Elite of Adam Cole and Fish and O'Reilly and maybe even the Young Bucks, if they still are with them at that time, taking over for Ben Dorr with Bullet Club, because remember, it's AEW New Japan show. So 
what Adam is saying is right. He has been the guy, and also he just won the Owen Hart tournament. So he that set him up in another lot notch while Paige, he technically just took a loss to CM Punk. And I don't see him going after the IWGB Championship. I mean, that was the original plans for my thoughts. Because I thought he was going to win against Punk, and then it'll be him versus Okada. Technically, we might still get him versus Okada. But uh, we'll have to see about that. And what Cole was talking about was that um, tomorrow on June 12th, it will be Jay White going against Okada and their Dominion show for New Japan. That's one of their pay-per-views. So we'll have to see who's going to be the champion out of that, because once the, that champion is more or less going to be declared, we'll happen to see who will either Adam Cole or maybe Hangman will be facing at Forbidden Door. We'll just have to see about that. Um, after this, we would get Warlow have an in-ring interview, and Tony Schiavone would have Warlow in the ring, and Tony would tell everyone that Warlow decided not to be in the Battle Royale earlier, and he would hand the mic to Warlow so he could further explain the reason why he took himself out of that. Warlow would explain that since CM Punk is the champion, he wants to be the one to beat him. He doesn't want to be an interim champion to do the whole unification thing. He wants to beat CM Punk as the champion, as CM Punk is the champion. No paper champion, none of that, as the champion. I understand people had a problem with that online. You will see people talking about it. But let me just say this right now. I understand it because I'm just going to make it pure and simple to you. Um, Warlow is not ready yet. Yes, he has some nice stuff, but can he last 12 minutes? Can he last 15 minutes with somebody of uh, a caliber like a punk? Yeah, sure, he did it for like a beat-up situation, which we knew that punk was supposed to get beaten up by a powerful warlow. But punk being a champion, that sets him up in a different situation. And some reason, whenever you're champion, you get like stats like, increase, like, if this was a video game, you get, like, a power boost when you're a champion, that's kind of the deal here, so can Warlow hang for 20 minutes with Punk? I don't know, can Warlow hang with 10 minutes, no, not 10, but 20 minutes, with a John Moxley, a Brian Danielson, a Kenny Omega, or even an Adam Cole, that type of situation, whenever, in, in these high-pressure issues, I don't know, so, I like that we're taking the slow burning route with Warlow to becoming world champion. I understand people want him, him to be in the battle royal to win it, but you got to let AEW cook on Warlow. Believe me, take time and everything will come uh, when it's time to be. But Warlow would mention that he is turning his sights onto one title that he did have in his graphs three months ago, and it's the TNT title. And then as soon as he mentioned the TNT title, Scorpio Sky will come out. He will start walking his way to the ring. But Ethan Page and Dan Lambert will have to come out to stop Sky from walking to the ring. Dan will yell at Warlow saying that Scorpio Sky has a bum knee. What type of man are you? Warlow will get the mic and say that, hey, man, since I'm all elite, I have all the time in the world to wait for Sky to heal up. He wants Sky at 110% for when he takes the TNT title off of him. Then we will see Mark Sterling on the screen and Mark would tell Warlow that he tore up legal papers last week and you can't do that and proceed to call Warlow a dummy. So Mark would give Warlow two options. Either Warlow could face Mark in the court or Warlow could face off against 20 security guards in an elimination match next week because Warlow is being sued by Mark Sterling for the security guards that he constantly beat up on weeks ends for the past prior weeks before uh, AEW double or nothing. So he picks the route of him going against 20 security guards next week. So that's what we're getting. 
After this, we have the AEW Women's Championship matchup. Thunder Rosa versus Marina Shafir. Thunder Rosa would win the match by pinfall when Thunder and Shafir would be trading maneuvers, and Shafir was looking to hit a front forward uh, flapjack, but Thunder Rosa would roll up Shafir and get the win. Uh, this was a real slow and real awkward matchup between Marina and Thunder Rosa. I know we all want Thunder Rosa to be having more time on television, and I'm glad they gave her time on television to wrestle and defend the title. I'm happy for Thunder Rosa with this, but we got to put Thunder Rosa against people that are on that spectrum with which she could have a match with. She could have had a match with uh, Red Velvet in this. She could have had a match with uh, Kiera Hogan if they wanted to do that, or they could have did somebody else. But Marina Shafir, she's just not ready for the AEW World Ch- uh, Women's Championship yet. She's not there. She has to uh, She has to lock down in what she's doing and hone, hone in her craft, if you will. Because if you saw the match, it looked real... Uh, it looked it real slow and it looked it real awkward. Just as a fan watching it, it just looked awkward. I could only imagine as a wrestler how would it feel in that ring. But anyway, Thunder would win the match. After the match, Thunder will be holding up the women's championship, lifting it up in the air. Shafir would get up and take the time and just walk over and kick Thunder right in the back. And then Shafir will lock Thunder in a triangle leg and arm lock. And as Shafir was holding on to the submission and wouldn't let go, Tony Storm would run down to the ring, get in the ring, and dropkick Shafir. Tony then would pick up Shafir, hit her with a German suplex. Thunder Rosa would get up, pick up Shafir, hit her with a fire thunder driver. And that's the end for Shafir here. And Tony was standing up at this moment. She picks up the AEW Women's Championship. And you see Thunder look at Tony. Tony would extend her arm out to Thunder so she could grab the championship which Thunder does, and she grabs it with force and then looks at Tony. So this tells you that Thunder Rosa is on a path to go against Tony Storm next. I have no problem with that. Now you're going to see the type of match that she should be having, a person that's well-rounded, world-traveled as a competitor as Tony Storm. Thunder Rosa going against Tony Storm. That has money as long as you build it up the right way. As it is now, it's time for the main event. John Moxley versus Kyle Raleigh with the winner going against the winner of Haruki Goto or Tanahashi at Forbidden Door for the AEW uh, Interim World Championship. And William Regal was on commentary for this. Kyle O'Reilly and Moxley, I mean, they swung for defenses against each other. Kyle O'Reilly and Moxley is a match that I didn't know I wanted until I saw it. And once I did, I was not expecting it to be that much level of physicality which I should have thought about it and because Moxley's a physical guy and Kyle's a physical guy as long as you put him against another physical competitor because Kyle can do everything. And these two had a real good physical, downright, just slugging out type match. Uh, Moxley would win the match, however, by pinfall when he locked in the bulldog choke and as Kyle was fading, uh, Moxley would let go and start kneeing Kyle directly in the head, then hit the regal knee on him. John would then lift up Kyle and hit the paradigm shift and pin him for the win. So now John Moxley will go against either Haruki Goto or Tanahashi for the AEW Interim World Championship at Forbidden Door. My pick, I know is going against... No, I know John is going to go against Hiroshi Tanahashi because that's the one he's been wanting to have to go against for since he's been in uh, New Japan and they were already on that brink until uh, COVID happened. And once COVID did, you had the New Japan guys staying in Japan and... The AEW guys that are American wrestlers, they stayed in America. So now that the doors are open and everybody's able to fly 
from wherever they want to go. That's where we're getting. That's at least where I think we're getting here. But that is your AEW Dynamite Wrestling Highlights of the Week. Now off to Impact Wrestling and a few notes to get you going. Um, they would announce that Alex Zane will be taking the final spot in the Ultimate X match at Slammiversary for the uh, X Division Championship. So now the field has been completed. The participants are as follows. The champion, Ace Austin, Jack Evans, Kenny King, Trey Miguel, Mike Bailey, and now Alex Zane. These are the men that will be competing at Slammiversary in the Ultimate X match for the X Division Championship. And also, later in, in Impact Wrestling, you will see a video of Matt Cardona with his arm in a sling holding the Digital Media Championship. He says that Rich Juan might be the champion, but he's not a champion because he's not the person holding the belt. And he says that since he's injured at the moment, he has to give the championship to somebody that he trusts and somebody that he's known for a long time, which is Brian Myers, who stands right next to him. He hands the title over to Brian, and Brian makes the match for a Slammiversary. It will be him going against Rich Swan for the Digital Media Championship. Now, with that all out the way, let's go on with the show. First match of the night will be Tennille Dashwood with Madison Rain in her corner going against Rosemary. Rosemary would win the match by pinfall when Rosemary was behind Tennille and shoved her into Madison Rain, who was on the ring apron at the time, and then rolled up Tennille for the win. After the match, Tennille and Madison would attack Rosemary in the ring until Taya Valkyrie would get in the ring and make the save on Rosemary. Taya and Rosemary would fight off Madison, and then you would see Taya and Rosemary hit both Madison and Tennille with spears at the exact same time. Then you see Madison and Tennille roll out of the ring. You see Taya and Rosemary in the ring. They stare down with each other, and Rosemary is just... Talking to Taya, but you can't hear what she's saying, but she's making hand gestures. Taya is just smiling at her. And once Rosemary is leaving the ring, you see Taya just more mouth off to her, I'm sorry. So you can see Taya and Rosemary going to try to uh, rekindle some type of friendship here because before Taya left for WWE, they at least had some uh, love-hate relationship. So they're going to try to build off of that past uh, relationship that and experience that these two have. That's what I think they're going off into the future with this. Um, after this, we would get a video of the Good Brothers being at the Briscoes uh, chicken farm. This is all nothing but the Good Brothers making fun of the Briscoes. Uh, you see them messing around with the Briscoes farming equipment. You see them talking to one of the Briscoes youngest children. You see them kind of trash talking uh, the Briscoes in different segments and different video edits of the video, and you see them also just messing around with a chicken. It's nothing but the Good Brothers having fun right here, and then they end up meeting with Papa Briscoe, who they thought was basically a farmhand. The Briscoe's father would tell the Good Brothers to get off of his farm, and then you see the Good Brothers just look at Papa Briscoe until they hear a truck rolling in, and it's the Briscoe's, Jay and Mark. Uh, they would get out the truck and start going against and beating up on the Good Brothers. Now you see a brawl between both teams. But the Good Brothers would get the best of the Briscoes here. They would beat up on the Briscoes. Uh, they would send Mark flying into like a plaster wood, breaking it. Now you have both Gallows and Anderson beating up on Jay Briscoe right next to a tree. Like um, Gallows was holding Jay's arm inside the like tree sockets like one of the openings, and then you just see Carl beating up on Jay Briscoe, and then you see Gallows and Anderson looking at Papa Briscoe, looking at, like they're about to 
beat up on him and they start walking towards Papa Briscoe. You see Mark get up and he has a pipe and a makeshift machete in his hand. And you see him scare off both Anderson and Gallows, the good brothers, and basically scare them off the farm. So this is, again, leading up to their matchup as anniversary for the tag titles. This was just nothing but a goofy, fun-living way for people to see what the Briscoes do on their daily day operations when they're not wrestling. Uh, after this, we have our second match of the night, Steve Macklin going against PCO. Steve Macklin would win the match by pinfall when towards the end of the match, Macklin had PCO in the trio woe on the outside of the ring next to the steel guardrail and then hit him with a running spear. Macklin then would get PCO up, send him into the steel steps, and even put his arm in between the steps and the ring post and kick it. Security and the referee would try to get PCO to get his arm looked at, but PCO would end up attacking two of the security guards and then start moving his arm back into place. You see, like, his collarbone had been broken in the past, so he could start messing with that. It looked like a grotesque look, but he was able to pop his arm back in. PCO would get in the ring, and Macklin had a steel chair in there, and the referee doesn't see this. Macklin would get PCO with a double underhook DDT, and DDT him on the steel chair, slide the chair out of the ring, and pin him. So that's how Steve Macklin wins the match. They spent 70% of this match literally outside of the ring, so it was nothing but a legit brawl, if you will call this anything. After this, we have Joe Doring with Violence by Design in his corner, which is Eric Young and Diener going against the Impact World Champion, Josh Alexander. Joe Doring would win the match by DQ when Josh would get the advantage in the matchup towards the end when he started German suplexing uh, Joe Doring two times and then he's about to go for the third one. But Joe would grab onto the top rope and hold onto it and then he would back elbow Josh in the face to let Josh let go of him. Diener then would get on the ring apron and distract the referee and... This would distract the referee from seeing Eric Young handing Joe Doring the Violent by Design flagpole, and Joe would swing it at Josh, but Josh would duck it and then grab the flagpole from Joe and hit Joe. But once he does this, you see the referee turn around and see Josh hit Joe Doring in the chest with the flagpole and call for the bell, so that's how Joe Doring gets the win by disqualification. After the match, Diener would get in the ring, and he would try to hit Josh Alexander, but Josh would get him in a German suplex and German suplex him. Josh would then quickly focus his attention onto Eric Young, who tried to slide into the ring a little, but Josh caught him in the act. And then you see Josh and Eric have a stare down, and Eric Young would just slowly slide out of the ring and tell Josh that he'll see him later. So again, this is also adding momentum into their matchup at Slammiversary for the Impact World Championship. That's what this was doing. After this, we have video of Moose walking down the hallways looking for Sammy Callahan because Sammy was playing my games with Moose for the past weeks. And Moose had an interview earlier and he said that he's not afraid of Sammy's mind games. The last guy to try to play mind games with him, he got carried away by his goons or whatever he called them. And he's talking about EC3 when EC3 was in TNA in 2020 or Impact Wrestling at this time, 2020. And um, it was still locked down. Nobody in the arenas. EC3 tried to play mind games with Moose. Ultimately, Moose beat up on EC3, and EC3 got carried away, and we haven't seen him in Impact since then. Moose would now now get into Moose looking for Sammy. 
Moose will walk up to a door, the lights will flicker off and then back on twice, and then you see Sammy appear with a bat, he tries to hit Moose, Moose would dodge the bat hit, and now you see Moose and Sammy just fighting on the outside of the door, and then they make their way into the room, and there's just nothing but Sammy and Moose, like, in a backstage door, uh, door room, that looks like a storage room, to be honest with you, uh, you would see them brawl, trade punches with each other, but Moose would get the better of it because Moose is bigger and stronger than Sammy. And Moose would continue to punch Sammy, eventually making him bleed in the process. Moose will let go of Sammy as Sammy's on the ground now, and Moose would try to walk out of the room. As he goes towards the door, he shakes it a little, and the door is locked. Moose would then go to another door. He shakes it a little, the door is locked. Then we see Sammy start slowly sitting up, laughing, and showing that he has the key in his hand. Moose will go over to Sammy, grab him, and tell him to hand over the key. Sammy will take this opportunity to key poke uh, Moose in the eye. And this would have Moose uh, discombobulated for a minute as this would allow Sammy to get out of the uh, room, go into the door and unlocking it, and leaving Moose inside the room locked in. Now, time for the main event. Six-man tag match. Honor No More's own Eddie Edwards, Matt Taven, and Mike Bennett going against Frankie Kazarian and the Motor City Machine Guns, Chris Saban, and Alex Shelley. Basically, uh, Honor No More going against TNA Originals. Eddie Edwards would win the match for his team when the referee got distracted by Taven, and Chris Saban had Eddie Edwards on the shoulder looking to hit the future shock, but Mike Bennett would low-blow Chris Saban, and this would allow Eddie Edwards to hit the diehard driver, for the win. After the match, Eddie Edwards and Mike Bennett and Matt Taven would beat up on uh, Frankie Kazarian and the Motor City Machine Guns until Heath came down to the ring with a steel chair. Heath was actually able to hold his own and beat up on both Taven and Bennett, and it left him and Eddie Edwards. He beats up on Eddie, he throws the steel chair into Eddie Edwards' face, and then he hits the wake up call, which is better known as the zigzag for people that know that move being called that from Dolph Ziggler in WWE on Eddie Edwards. And then you would see Heath grab Eddie's leg and put it inside the steel chair, and he wanted to smash it with another chair the same way that they did Rhino uh, two weeks ago or last week. But Kenny King and Vincent would run down to the ring and attack Heath, and now you have all of Honor No More beating up on Heath, and ultimately you would see them put Heath's leg inside the chair and then you see Eddie smash his leg one time. And then you see Taven grab the chair and smash the leg. And then you see uh, Vincent grab the chair and smash the leg. So ultimately, his leg got smashed up three times by Honor No More. And the end of Impact was Honor No More, again, standing tall as uh, Impact Originals, TNA Originals are laid out on the mat. As this is also still building up momentum and fume well, flames or fume, whatever you want to call it, towards their matchup at Slammiversary, where it's Honor No More going against TNA Originals. So far, the only members on TNA Originals are Chris Saban, Alex Shelley, and Frankie Kazarian. They need to find two more members, and the conditions for that is that they have had to have been in Impact Wrestling, whether they be present or in the past, they had to have some dealings with Impact Wrestling. That's the deal for that. And that is your Impact Wrestling Wrestling Highlights of the Week. Now on to SmackDown. Now, as I mentioned earlier, um, Cody did have surgery on his pec. The doctor 
was able to repair it and attach the shoulder, uh, not the shoulder, but the pec muscle back to the bone. So Cody would be out for nine months. Michael Cole did announce that, but I started doing the math and nine months is literally when he's supposed to come around back in March. But I think he'll be back in January. January would be like seven months and Cody comes from the school of watching John Cena and John Cena is notorious for being supposedly supposed to be out for a long period of time but he'll come back quickly than we all expected him to so i see cody probably coming back probably in january right around a surprise entrance but not really a surprise entrance for the royal rumble but that's just me anyway on to smackdown um the first match of the night would be a money in the bank qualifying matchup of drew mcintyre going against sheamus who had butch in his corner the match will end in a dq with no winner when both sheamus and drew mcintyre won the outside in the ring and they were fighting at the Timeskeeper uh, area, and both men grabbed a steel chair, and they hit each other with the steel chair at the same time. The ref will have to call for the bell, which means we have no winner. But that wouldn't end the brawl between the two men, and they would continue to brawl with each other constantly on the outside of the ring, and then you see officials come out to try to separate them, about a good 20 of them. Sheamus and Drew would brawl into the crowd, and they would constantly uh, throw punches and all this good stuff, and then... The officials finally will separate the two, and that will be it. These two usually always have a good match. You will not find a bad Drew McIntyre versus Sheamus matchup because they throw everything at the wall. They'll really hit each other, and I mean, they'll throw some good powerful hits to each other. They'll slam each other hard because they're friends in real life, so they know that they got to go all in. So that's the reason why I like personally Drew going against Sheamus anytime I get that matchup. You will get... Um, two different backstage uh situations where both Sheamus and Drew at separate times would go to Adam Pearson and say that they want to be in the Money in the Bank match, but Adam Pearson would tell them, "Hey, you guys lost. Well, you didn't win. You were disqualified, and I got to talk to people up the ladder to get that approved, and that would not be rectified on SmackDown. So we'll have to see what happens next week on SmackDown. Will Drew and Sheamus be?" allowed to be in the Money in the Bank, we don't know. After this, we have our second Money in the Bank qualifying matchup of Lacey Evans on her SmackDown uh, debut, after now she's being repackaged, going against Zia Lee. Lacey Evans would win the match by pinfall when Lacey would catch Zia Lee running off the ropes and hit her with the woman's right, which is basically a right hand punch square to the jaw, and then she will pin Zia Lee for the win. So Lacey Evans is now the first woman competitor to qualify for the Women's Money in the Bank qualifying matchup. And now there are six more uh, competitors that are unknown at the moment. We'll have to see who will be uh, taking those spots in the weeks to come. After this, we will have Ronda Rousey having an in-ring promo. Ronda will talk about how she can't wait to meet Natalia at Money in the Bank to show her that her armbar that she learned from her mother and crafted in the UFC will be more superior than the... Haji cheapening sharpshooter that Natalia stole from her uncle Bret Hart. Shotzi Blackheart would come out and tell Ronda to shut up. Shotzi would mention that she might not have a submission game like Ronda and all that type of stuff, but what she has is a killer aggression and killer instincts. Shotzi would proceed to challenge Ronda to a match right now, and Ronda would oblige, so they would have the match. Ronda would win the match by submission when Ronda would lock in the armbar on Shotzi and Shotzi would tap out. I must say Shotzi was given a lot in this matchup. Shotzi was able to beat up on Ronda a lot. I thought it was going to be a quick 
a little something to Ronda, probably letting Shotzi get a little something off, but then Ronda ultimately just tap her out. No, they allow Shotzi to beat up on Ronda a good bit in the matchup, and then you would see, like, at one point, you see Shotzi uh, kick Ronda square in the head, and it made a, and made a good impact noise, and I thought she won off that, but nah, Ronda would still win, so I was happy to see Shotzi uh, get some time needed for her specifically on this uh show after this matchup you will see natalia come in and attack ronda rousey from behind and then lock her in the sharpshooter ronda wouldn't tap though she would just yell in pain but natalia would just hold on to the sharpshooter referees would come down to the ring and tell natalia to let go of the hole but natalia would hold on to it for a little bit longer before finally letting go natalia would then look down at ronda before leaving the uh leaving the mat or leaving the ring per se so Natalia and Ronda are going to be facing each other at Money in the Bank. And for me, I'm cool with that because, again, it's still teacher versus pupil because Natalia was one of the people that helped Ronda Rousey uh, break into WWE coming off of her UFC uh, career. After this, we will have an Intercontinental title matchup of Gunther with Ludwig Kaiser in his corner going against Ricochet. Gunther would win the match by pinfall when Ricochet would go for the 450 splash, but Gunther would roll out of the way and Ricochet would land on his feet. Gunther would run over and hit Ricochet with a running dropkick to the chest, then pick him up and then power bomb him for the win. So now Gunther is the new Intercontinental Champion. This was a good match between Gunther and Ricochet. I know they can do more if they were just given the instructions of, hey, go out there and just blow people's minds. But um, this is the WWE, this is SmackDown, this is free television. You have to save certain things for uh, bigger shows like uh, Premium Live Event. That's the new word for pay-per-views. So I can see them doing another match between Gunther and Ricochet at Money in the Bank and them probably pulling out all the stops. But this was still a good TV matchup between Ricochet and Gunther. They still laid everything out on the line. And uh, Gunther is now the new Intercontinental Champion. Personally, I didn't know who was going to win this match when I first uh, heard about this match last week. I didn't know. I didn't know they were going to have Ricochet be the first guy to beat Gunther on her on his uh, main event uh, run as he's doing this, or Gunther was going to beat Ricochet. It was it was a uh, daunting on my mind because I was trying to think of who's going to win. But as I saw the match and as it was continuously going, I was like, okay, Gunther's going to win this, and I'm cool with it still. I just know that the Intercontinental title looks real weird on Gunther as he, as he uh, put it around his waist. It looks like a big belt buckle in the middle of him. So I can see Gunther probably being the guy, him being the old school, uh, the Matt Sacred type guy, him rebranding and redesigning that Intercontinental title. That's the person I could say and could see redesigning the Intercontinental title. Now time for the main event. Sami Zayn versus Riddle, and the conditions for the matchup are as follows. If Sami would win the match, Riddle would be barred from SmackDown, meaning he couldn't come back to SmackDown. And if Riddle wins, he will face Roman Reigns next week for the Undisputed Universal Championship. Paul Heyman was at commentary for the matchup, but before the match began, and before Sami and Riddle came out, you will see Paul Heyman talk to Sami and tell him this is his biggest opportunity, because if he wins... Paul could put a good word in for Sammy, and he could literally be a part of the bloodline. But if he loses, it's not going to be good for Sami Zayn. So Sammy has this weighing on his head, and he goes out there, and he now has to face Riddle. Riddle would win the match by pinfall when Sammy had Riddle set up in the corner for the Huluva kick, 
And as Sammy was running towards Riddle, Riddle would run towards Sammy and he would hit Sammy with an RKO, which is basically a running RKO, and cover him for the win. A good match between Sammy and Riddle at points in the matchup towards the end. You would hear like Paul like yelling at Sammy to tell him to cover Riddle. Then you see Sammy like acting uh more boisterous and more cocky, and Paul was not liking it because he knows that if you make Riddle upset, Riddle is a dangerous man and that you should beat Riddle when you have the opportunity. Sammy again got too cocky and that did not happen. Uh Riddle will now be facing Roman Reigns next week for the Undisputed Universal Championship. After the match, though, you will see Riddle uh, get his hand raised in a victory, but he would get attacked from behind by the Usos. The Usos would consist to stomp him out, then throw him outside of the ring, and then you see the Russos uh, proceed to pose with their ones in the air. But what they didn't know was that Riddle was going to grab a kendo stick from under the ring, and once he does that, Riddle gets back in the ring and hauls off on the Usos with the kendo sticks, eventually breaking the kendo sticks on the back of the Usos, and the Usos would leave the ring, and retreat up the ramp. And that's how SmackDown ends with Riddle going into the cameras and saying that he's going to beat Roman next week for the Undisputed uh, Universal Heavyweight Championship. There's one thing I didn't like about this situation. When I saw the Usos come out and attack Riddle from behind, I thought to myself, why didn't the Usos like try to come out earlier in the matchup when they saw Sammy was going to lose? Because I could see Roman literally pitting all of them as the downfall next week and getting upset at all of them. Because if you're there, you're supposed to help out the person that's helping your stable or your unit out. And Sammy is trying to be an honorary member of the bloodline. Sure, he might overstep his bounds, but you guys are supposed to be the henchmen of the big boss. And you guys are supposed to try to do everything in your powers to make sure that the big boss never has to do stuff. And you guys didn't do that as a WWE uh, creative team. You guys didn't take that into account. So maybe next week I can see Roman yelling at the Usos for not running out there and doing something before uh, Sammy took the loss. But we'll have to see. Now on to AEW Rampage. First match of the night would be Eddie Kingston versus Jake Hager. This is going off of uh, Hager eliminating Kingston out of the Battle Royal from AEW on Dynamite. Uh, Kingston would win the match by pinfall when Jake Hager had Eddie Kingston in the corner and goes for the traditional 10 punches to the head, but he only got to eight when Kingston would grab Jake and powerbomb him. Then as Jake was getting up, Kingston would hit him with two spinning back fists, then cover him for the win. This was a brawler matchup between Kingston and Jake Hager. You only got some slams. You got a whole lot of striking. That's what you want out of these two guys. Kingston being a brawler and he has some technical background. Jay Hager being a uh, amateur wrestler with submission game background. This is the type of matchup that you want out of these two, and they did not disappoint. After this, we had Jay Lethal and the debuting, uh, entering debut of Satnam Singh. With them, they had Sanjay Dutt in their corner going against the besties, Davey Vega and Matt Fidget. They are two independent guys who's known majority in the Midwest, the Chicago, Illinois uh, region, even the Cleveland area. Jay and Sotnam would win the match by pinfall when Jay would hit the lethal injection, which is a springboard cutter on both men at the same time, then win. I don't know who he covered. I think he covered uh, Matt Fidget. Uh, Sotnam Singh literally uh, did all the heavy lifting in this matchup. This match didn't last long. It lasted about a good, what, five minutes? Because Sotnam got in and he took out both guys. 
he uh, ran and did a double crossbody on both of them. And then Jay wanted to get tagged in and Sodom tagged in Jay. And that's when you got the lethal uh, cutter or lethal injection on both guys. Sodom is going to be one of those guys that I see that he's going to be around for a little bit. And then that's going to be it. Hopefully they use him and him be a bodyguard for somebody that they want to push into a upper card as in like a mid card to a main eventer because I can see Sodom doing that. Shoot, I can see him doing that for Jay Lethal here because Jay Lethal is a franchise guy only if AEW wants to do that. So um, we'll have to see. Um, after the match, Jay Lethal and Sodom Singh and Sandy Jet would stomp out Matt Fidget. Then you see Sodom lift up Matt and have him in the razor's edge position, but then spin him around and then drop him on his back, and then you have Jay, Sodom, and Sanjay uh, posing over the body of Matt Fidget. After this, you have Chris Statlander going against Red Velvet, who had Jade, Kiera Hogan, and Stokely Hathaway in her corner. Chris would win the match by pinfall when Red Velvet would try to kick Chris, but Chris caught her kick, popped uh, Velvet up, catch her, and hit Friday Night Fever, which is a reverse Yoshi Tonic, or as people would know it better, as a reverse... Uh, Dead eye from the hangman on uh Red Velvet to win the matchup. After the match, Kira Hogan would get in the ring and attack Chris Statlander from behind, start punching her as she's on the ground. Jade would tell Kira to throw Chris to the outside of the ring, so Kira does this. Then you see Jade wait for Chris Statlander to get up, and then once Chris does get up, you see Jade pump kick or bro kick uh Chris Statlander in the face. Anna Jay would run down to the ring to try to help out, but to no avail because the numbers were too much. Kira Hogan and Rev Velvet would put the boots to Anna Jay and stomp her out. Athena's music would hit, and Athena would run down to the ring, but the officials would stop her from entering the ring. As you see Jade, Kiera, and Rev Velvet in the ring taunting Athena to try to get in. So again, the commentary team also uh did note that we are on the collision course for Athena to go against Jade Cargill, so they're already solidifying that Athena will go against Jade somewhere down the line, and it's going to be for the TBS Championship. Uh, I'm cool with that. After that, we'll now have for the main event of Rampage, six-man tag match, the United Empire's own Will Ospreay and Ozzy Open, which consists of Mark Davis and Kyle Fletcher, and in their corner, they had Aaron Hernare with them, going against Trent Beretta and FTR. Trent and FTR would win the match by pinfall when Trent would hit strong zero, the Yoshi Tonic, on Kyle Fletcher for the win. I'm surprised by this, when, to be honest with you, because usually when you have people coming from a different company, especially when you're doing a business deal with them, you would have them win on your television. So I thought that the United Empire, uh, Will Ospreay and Ozzy Open was going to win this, but no, Trent and FTR did. Still a good match, though, but this match, to me, did not highlight the stuff that Will Ospreay could do. It didn't highlight the stuff that Kyle Fletcher and Mark Davis can do. It only gave people a little sample taste. You should give them like a better sample taste than the one that we did get on Rampage, in my personal opinion. Because if you watch YouTube clips of what Will Ospreay can do, there's free matches on uh, YouTube and the New Japan uh, YouTube page. There's free matches of what Will Ospreay could do. You see that he's a phenomenal wrestler, not the type of wrestler that you saw on Rampage. That's a watered-down version of Will Ospreay. If you go to Ozzy Open, if you go to YouTube and you type up Ozzy Open, you could get matches of them. This was a watered-down version of Ozzy Open to me. I don't understand what happened here on Rampage. Still a good match. They're all great performers. Let's not get it twisted. But it's not 
like what you would expect of these guys whenever you hear the names of Will Ospreay and Ozzy Open coming over to AEW. You think of something that's going to be, oh my God, this is going to be the thing. This is going to give people what you should expect from them. No, nah, this was just a little sample taste. And the sample taste, I didn't like it personally to me. But um, Rampage will end with uh, Trent and FTR just standing tall in the ring. And that's your Rampage Wrestling Highlights of the Week. Now, before I get you guys out of here, there's just one thing that's been bothering me for a little bit about New Japan. Just one thing. Um, It's called Black Representation over there. Over there in Japan, you get the Gaijins over there. You'll get the white guys. You'll get a uh, Hispanic guy here or there. But you won't get a black represented guy over there. Um, The reason I have a problem with this is because New Japan just added uh, Ace Austin into the Bullet Club, what, last week in the Best of the Super Juniors, the final day of it. And to me, I was confused by this because Ace Austin, for people that don't know this, he's the exhibition champion for Impact Wrestling. And if you've been watching Impact Wrestling, in Bullet Club, in Impact, is Chris Bay. And he is a great exhibition wrestler. Why would you have the exhibition X champion in your group when you already have a guy that's literally on the Impact roster that represents Bullet Club that should be going after the exhibition title? Why would you do that? It doesn't make sense to me. And why would you not have Chris Bay, who is a great, again, high flyer in his own rights, not be in the best of the Super Juniors? No, that doesn't, it doesn't sit well with me. Because you haven't had a black champion in New Japan in a good long bit. The last black champion, in my best knowledge, was basically Ricochet, but he was holding the uh, New Japan Junior Tag Titles with Matt Seidel. That was the last black champion that you had over there, and you only had one black heavyweight champion, and I'm not going to count Bob Sapp, but the record books will count it, but Bob Sapp, he's not a wrestler. He was a... MMA guy, I believe, and then he just got into New Japan, and that run was dreadful. I mean, come on. The only best black champion that you had in New Japan was literally the inauguration of the Intercontinental Champion in New Japan, and the first champion literally was MVP. You try to use his WWE fame to grab the WWE fans that knew him to go over to New Japan. That's what you guys had him for as the Intercontinental Champion. I'm not mad at that because that's called business. What I'm upset about is that you guys have able to pick black competitors all around the world that will be happy to go over to Japan and do work for New Japan because New Japan is a predominant name and that's something that every American and everybody in England would like to go over to Japan. Any wrestler would always love to go to Japan. That's always a thing. Why do you not have black wrestlers over there? Why? It doesn't make sense to me how you don't have that you guys got to do better there's a plethora of black uh, wrestlers that you could have over there in new japan you could have myron reed over there you could have shoot right now with the aew uh thing that you guys got right now with the deal you could get keith lee over there you think he won't be an attraction you don't think people won't like keith lee okay you can get swerve over there swerve can work the style of new japan over there if you want to work the style of the uh other guys he can do that um there is more guys out here that can easily work that way over there, but it just, to me, 
why do you not shoot? You can get Moose. Moose can work over there, and he hits hard. And he hits hard. You can get him to do some of the never open weight stuff. And then if you don't want to put him in the heavyweight, you can have him literally compete for the United States Championship and all these other belts, which you guys could do. But again, that's all about if New Japan wants to do that. For me, I need them to do that. Because you guys didn't put Ricochet as your junior heavyweight champion whenever you guys had the opportunity to do so. You didn't. And that's a failure in my book. You guys had ACH on your roster for a minute. And you guys didn't do nothing with him. You guys put him under a mask as a black tiger mask in a basically a... Uh, want to be reboot for your black uh for your tiger mask show that you guys were advertising well that somebody was advertising with new japan and you guys had him as the black tiger mask if you don't know what i'm talking about look it up on youtube it's a thing you guys had ach there and you guys didn't even make him a junior tag champion you guys didn't even make him a junior heavyweight champion why did you not do that it makes no sense to me. ACH literally was your token black guy. If I'm gonna, if it's gonna get like that, literally, if you look back in the annals of New Japan, and you look at what ACH was at that period of time when ACH was in New Japan, he was their token black guy. If they needed him for something, you throw ACH in it. That's just what it was. But you didn't give him a junior heavyweight title shot. You didn't give him a junior tag team opportunity. Ugh. New Japan, I need you to do better. Seriously. I need you to do better. You guys have a whole lot of opportunities to do something, and you don't think a black wrestler champion won't be an attraction for the Japanese audience? They've already saw a lot of white wrestlers as champions. Throw them a black champion and see what you could do with your audience and see what type of fanfare you can get from them. If you don't get enough fanfare, then sure, you try to experiment in whatever the case may be. But you got to give it a shot. You can't just constantly... Uh, negate that that's something that i don't like and i guarantee you if people start really poking into it they'll start noticing it as well i'm just a guy that's going to tell you right now before they really start poking you need to start having black wrestlers on your show just saying now with that all being said let me get you guys out of here on twitter you can find me at, at my two podcast instagram my two cents podcast g2 and my email is my two cents pod at yahoo.com i want to thank you guys all for listening to the wrestling highlights of the week i really do appreciate it i hope you guys do check out my sunday episode tomorrow it will be called uh accountability and it's episode 78 i hope you guys will check it out and um please if you have any type of suicidal thoughts please call the suicide hotline number i have it in the episode description please call that number i want everybody to live and continue to live out the rest of their lives because i don't want people to think their life's not meaningful trust me your life is meaningful you mean something to somebody out here believe that now with that all being said i love you all i hope you guys have a great saturday please be safe be kind to everybody don't be a dick and with that kanye can you please take these people home i'm tired you tired uh -huh. jesus wept uh -huh.